Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. Don't, don't be upset by a northern bloke. Ronaldo, he looked at me, smiled, he never done it again. What's in there, Mickey? He went, oh, that's about 300 grand in there, kid. If I'm on the opposite end of an argument, Piers Morgan, that's a very comfortable position that I'm happy to be in. I think I'd be up there with one of the most irritating cricketers. Tom, we were getting on so well until that question. <laughs> you boys are going to get absolutely hammered. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic teenagers who interview some of the biggest names within the world of sport. From world champions, World Cup winners, international athletes, Ryder Cup golfers, Ashes heroes, and many other sportsmen and women, we delve deep into their sporting career, the highs and the lows, and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. But that's enough for me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, Tom and Avatar, who host the podcast, and I'll let them introduce today's guest. See you later. Technowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults. And we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Today I am joined by my co-hosts Avatar and Harvey and here as always is Adam to support us along the way. We are going to have a chat about season three of the podcast. Hi boys, how are you today? I'm fine. I'm good man, thank you. Thanks. I would just want to start off this episode with some amazing news that we wanted to share with you all. As our regular listeners will know, the TWS Sports Podcast was nominated for a Global Sports Podcast Award in the Best Equality and Social Impact category. Well, we wanted to let you all know that we won. Woo! Nice. Harvey, how does it feel to win this award? Well, it feels really, really exciting because I've only been on this little journey for a quite a small t- period of time, but I feel so happy that we've won this award and it's a big opportunity for our school to get out there and be recognised. After all, do you have anything to say to our listeners? Oh, that's, that's good. Uh, we actually, we power ourselves like mom's dad, everything else like, and then um, we just straight through it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to vote for us. This really is an amazing achievement for us, and we are so grateful for your support. To be recognised as the best sports podcast in the world, which provides social equality, is fantastic. So thank you so much. And the Sports Podcast Awards have sent us a clip of us being announced as the winners and our acceptance speech. So we're going to play a few now. This next category represents a hugely important topic that deserves recognition inside and outside of sport. The shortlist for the Equality and Social Impact category has shows that cover a wide range of hugely, hugely important topics such as LGBTQ, autism, race, environmental sustainability, equality, disability in sport, and much, much more. And this category had the most shares through the judging phase too. So that just shows us how much these podcasts have really moved the listeners. Thank you, Colleen. Well, here are the nominees. The BBC's LGBT Sports Podcast, Gold Diggers Podcast, Ordinarily Speaking, the TWS Sports Podcast, Emergency on Planet Sport, Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, Play It Forward presented by Peace Players, Equal to Achieving Disability Equality. The winner of the Best Equality and Social Impact Podcast is TWS Sports Podcast. We now welcome uh, Adam Millerchip and Tom and Avtar from the TWS Sports Podcast. Congratulations, winners. What does it feel like? Thank you very much. It's honestly amazing. We're grateful for this opportunity. It's fantastic. It's unbelievable. And we're so honoured to have won. How did the podcast come about? Um, so it all started, I think, initially during lockdown um, two, a few years ago when we were all at home listening to a lot more podcasts and I went to our head teacher, Sarah, and I said, what a great learning opportunity it would be to do a podcast. Um, all our students at our school are autistic, and it's something that I feel that they could get involved with. So after a few discussions with the management at school, um, we thought, yeah, let's go ahead with it. Let's try it. It's something that I'm not aware of many schools doing. And after a few, well, a week or so, it was all kind of set up, and we had the students involved. And it all started as quite a small project that has very quickly grown into a very big project. You had some incredible guests, uh, Matt Letizia, John Eels, Joe Hart, Paddy McGuinness. This is a question for the lads. Who was your favourite guest to interview? Well, my two personal favourites <laughs> was uh, Green, uh, Will Greenwood and Paddy McGuinness. Why? Why were they so good? Well, with Will Greenwood, I enjoyed not only talking to him about his career, uh, he was funny and I could relate to his um, child who is auto-autistic auto, and he explained on how he's been learning to understand more of his child's autism. Obviously, I know there's so much hard work goes into this podcast. Is there anyone that you guys want to thank? Because uh, obviously, collecting an award, there's always got to be a, a thankful acceptance speech. Maybe you want to thank yourselves for being brilliant. Who knows? <laughs> I want to thank not only myself, but Adam... Uh, Avtar, also Nigel, because Nigel was in like the early days of the podcast, and also every person that we chat to on the podcast, like I'm talking like everyone as well. Where do you want to take this podcast? Like, is it just going to carry on where you're going to you're going to, you're going to carry on doing it for many seasons? Is there any guests that you're desperate to have? What What's next for you lot? Um, in the future, I want to talk to like to like a, a variety of more different people, and also get more women on the podcast. And uh, I've mentioned like quite a lot of times. My biggest dream on who I want to talk to on the podcast is Tyson Fury. He's like one of my idoles. Yeah, he'd be amazing. 
Well, listen, now you're award winners. You know, the, the sky is the limit. I'm sure Tyson Fury would absolutely love to come on. Congratulations. Well done, TWS Sports Podcast. It's an amazing feat, and I wish you the best luck in the future. Thanks again. Thank you so much, James. So there it is. There's us picking up our Sports Podcast Awards. Boys, I just want to say I am so proud of you. You have done unbelievably over the last 10, 11 months. Honestly, you've put so much hard work into this and you should be incredibly proud of yourselves. Well done, boys. So we wanted to start off our podcast in the same way we always do, but we wanted to ask each other some quick fire questions. Avtar, this question is for you. Yeah. If you could go, if you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, I give a trade. Uh, Watkins. You would trade lives with Tom. Yeah. Why? Uh, because he's a good boy and <laughs> respect. <laughs> I thought you, I thought you'd say like a basketball player. So oh yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, uh, he's got actually basketball as well. <laughs> so out of all the people in the whole world, you would trade lives with Tom. Yes. <laughs> That's crazy respect, <laughs> that is. I'll respect you, actually. <laughs> Adam, this podcast has put you in touch with a lot of famous people, so who is the most famous person in your phone book? Oh, um, yeah, you're right. This podcast has, has been very good, and we've managed to speak to lots of famous people. So I've been lucky enough to get quite a few phone numbers, but the most famous, um, maybe Will Greenwood, the rugby player, or... Um, Matt Letizia was another one or possibly one that we're trying to get on the podcast that we haven't quite got yet is um, Sam Allardyce the football manager so keep your eyes peeled hopefully he might be on the podcast in the next few seasons but yeah I've been very lucky to to have quite a few contacts so this is question for you Tom if you could go back to one year in your life one day or back one day sorry uh, <clears throat> In your life, what will it be? Well, actually, it would be when we first started up the podcast back in May, right? Yep. Because not only to be like more kind of pleased with how it started, but also because I could go back to my year that year and kind of like kind of guard myself more because I made, I don't get me wrong, I know it's a new year, new me. I would go back and change quite a few things that year and also be more grateful for starting up this amazing podcast. That's a good question. Good answer. Good question, good answer. Yeah. And Harvey, then last one for you. If you could have dinner with three people, who would it be and why? Anybody. Yep. Oh, I think I'd have to go with my favourite YouTuber, first of all, a guy named Jacksepticeye. He's really good. Share it to him. <laughs> um, ooh, and I'd include my mum in there. For definite. And then I'll include my biggest sporting idol. It's not from any teams I support, but he's my biggest idol in football, Raheem Sterling. Yeah, that's a good dinner table. Good choice. Let's go back to episode one of season three. And that was a big one for us. That was with England Rugby World Cup winning coach, Sir Clive Woodward. That episode uh, we had with the BBC... Uh, recording in for us as well. Do you remember that after? Uh, yes, because uh, BBC forgot my uh, f- my f- my last name's right, and then the first one that a uh, wrong name. They, they, they called it Abtar. Yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah. It's called Abtar. Um, here is a short clip from our chat with Sir Clive Woodward. 
You beat Wales and France in the knockout stages of the World Cup and played Australia in the final. What were your preparations like for the final and were you confident of being Australia in Sydney? Yeah, we're, we're very confident because we'd beaten them, as I said before, in Melbourne a few months before. And that last week was one of the lightest training weeks I've ever had. We were fit. We were ready to go. What you could do is lose the game on the training pitch, meaning you could overtrain. So we literally had, a, you know, in that week, because we, we beat France in semi-final. I think we played Sunday, so we, had, we only had six days to turn around. So we would have had a full day off on Monday. Then on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we had a, we had sessions, but there would be a maximum hour. We never even put, put our boots on. We just walked around the pitch in our tracksuits and trainers, just walking through moves and, and just visualising what was going to go on. So again, we only put training in just to, to actually fill in some time. We knew what was going to happen. We knew we knew how to going to play. We didn't have to train very hard. And we just literally walked through, did a few lineouts, a few scrums, not, not big scrums, just set up, just walked through and just get mentally prepared for the picture. And it was the largest training we've ever, we've ever had. And even, even then, some of the players came up to me and said, you know, this is very light. And I've gone, yeah, just, just trust us. You will explode Saturday night. You know, I, just, I don't want to leave this on the training paddock. So it would have been very, very easy to do too much. Uh, and we actually, I went the other way. I, I, did, I did too little. I don't think I did too, too little, but I wanted, I wanted to be very conservative. And we just literally walked around and it was great. But we just, and we only did that to, to create some time, some, some mental side of stuff. We had quite a few team meetings to discuss and plan things, but it was a very light session. But, you know, I, I kind of, you know, as, as the game, you know, before the kickoff, I remember speaking to the coaches, you know, saying, right, would, would you have done anything differently? And we all said, no, we think we're in great shape. So it's, you know, we had this saying, Tom, about, if, if everybody does their job properly, we should win this game. And that, well, that was a really powerful statement to make, and I'll repeat it. You know, if every player and coach, me, does their job properly in this game against Australia, we should win the game. Because, you know, we thought we had a better team than them. We thought we were a better coaching team than them. So we just didn't. We did, we just, just had to make sure everyone did their job properly. When I say that, you know, we, we, we don't want someone getting sent off. We don't want anything to be stupid. We don't want someone making, you know, just under pressure, not doing their job properly. Then Martin Johnson picked up the theme as well. Just, just do our job properly, win the game, go home. So that week was incredibly quiet, I promise you. There was no Churchillian speeches. It was just do your job properly and get prepared mentally, physically, and we should win this game. Unfortunately, that, that's how it turned out. So moving on to episode two, and this was a special episode with Carl Gottlieb, who is the writer of the film Jaws. This was a big one for you, Tom, because I know you're a massive Jaws fan. What are your memories of chatting with Carl? Well, my memories with chatting with Carl was um, not only was I so honoured to chat to him because it's my favourite film of all time, still is. Um, I liked it. Not only did he make jokes around the questions, like, for example, I, I regretted thinking this one, but at the time I thought it was creative. Like, if you could change uh, anything about the movie, like, scene-wise, what would you do? And he kind of, like, he referenced, like, a certain artist, I think, from what I remember. And it's like, it's because it's a masterpiece, it doesn't need changing. And uh, yeah, I just and I like saying to him at the end of the podcast that episode that um, letting him know it's my still my favorite movie and probably will always be like that. Yeah, it was a great one, and you did very well, Tom. And here's a short clip from the episode with Carl. The movie is very is well known for its mem- memorable quotes. Obviously, the, probably the most famous being that you're going to need a need a bigger boat. Did yeah. how did you come up with that line? Did you write that line in? 
And how do you come up with that? Well, for years, I thought Roy had ad-libbed that line. And I kind of very generously refused to take credit for it. I would say, look, you know, Roy had ad-libbed it. I'll take some responsibility as a writer because I did create a character, Brody the Sheriff, that when Roy inhabited the character, anything he said would be appropriate, would be in character. It wasn't just an actor padding his part, uh, which is, you know, what happened. Then as it turns out, I was watching one of the many documentaries about the making of Jaws, and there's, uh, there's Roy in an interview in the 80s saying, oh yeah, no, that line was in the script. Yeah, I should have been taking credit for that all these years. <laughs> but the, the, the actuality is that Zanuck and Brown were stingy and they did not rent enough heavy equipment to make the movie easy. Everything had to be improvised. The, all the camera equipment was on this barge called the SS Garage Sale. And people were kept saying, we're going to need a bigger boat, because they did. They needed a bigger boat for equipment, for the crew to have their lunch if they were at sea. There was all kinds of reasons for having a bigger boat. And they used to say that whenever anything went wrong on the set, if a, sub, a light fell down or somebody went in the water, somebody would always say, you're going to need a bigger boat. So it was a common ad lib uh, amongst the whole crew, not just Roy. A lot of people said that. And then when Roy said it in the movie, he said it at a perfect time. And the, the, the cutting of the movie was such that it worked perfectly where it was and became the iconic line that it is, uh, almost, almost by accident. Episode three, Soros chat to um, England cricketer Monty Panasar. This was one of my favourite chats as Monty shared lots of great stories with us. Avtar, did you enjoy chatting to Monty? Uh, yes, I do, because uh, Monty taught me he's actually really sick because he realised he's actually play cricket and he's actually sick as well because he's where... Yeah, you're right. So he was he's the first, I think, Sikh cricketer mm-hmm. from the Sikh community to play for England and he spoke a lot about the Sikh community and yeah. how privileged he was to represent them and play cricket. Yeah. Tom, what about you? What do you think about chatting Monty? Well, coincidentally, I agree with Avton the whole Sikh part of it because, again, I'm, I'm not Sikh myself, so it was good learning more about it. And then also, he kind of proves the point, uh, Monty does, that it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, you can still be really, really good at sport if you keep on trying and trying and, and practising because you will get there. And here's a short clip from our chat with Monty Panesar. And... Then the following Ashes series, you travelled to Australia and beat them 3-1, which was the first time in 24 years that England had won the Ashes in Australia. What are your memories of that series? Yeah, memories for me was, I remember Alistair Cook, he was scored just so many runs, he would not get out, and he was unbelievable during that. I think he scored over 700 runs. And he was just brilliant, you know, absolutely brilliant. I'll just sit in the in the com box uh, in, in, in where we would be and just watch him all day because I was 12 man. And I and I was just like, wow, this is unbelievable. You know, Alistair Cook is just batting brilliant, you know, and uh, and that was a huge moment. I think that really set up the series for us to win. 
And I think that the real game-changing was um, in Melbourne when Chris Tremlett bowled unbelievably well, a match-winning spell in the first innings. And we bowled, I think, you know, Australia out under 100. And that was it. We thought, yeah, I think we were on the way to win the Ashes. And my favourite moment was um, at Sydney when all of us sat together in a circle and we were just sitting there on Australian soil on Sydney, Sydney cricket ground, and just sitting there thinking, gosh, you know, we've beaten the Australians. Episode four saw us chat to former Welsh rugby player James Hook. James talked to us all about his time playing for Wales and shared some funny stories with us about his former teammates. Here is a short clip. In the Welsh dressing room, who were the real characters? Who who were the ones playing the jokes and pranks on everyone else? <laughs> oh, we had a few jokers. Um, I think it, so it's too many to to name. Mike Phillips was a, was a massive joker, funny bloke, confident. Dandy Powell was another one. Um, but you know, we were just just boys. Like obviously, you're playing a high pressure sport, particularly when you're playing for Wales. But you're in each other's pockets so so much. Um, that you know, you need characters like like Andy Power and Mike Phillips and and these sort of boys. So um, yeah, th- th- there's two probably that uh, were real characters in the squad. You just reminded me of uh, James. Now correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Andy Powell that was driving a golf buggy up motorway the wrong way or something? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so after the, after the Wales Scotland game, we uh, yeah. So don't try this one, boys. Right? <laughs> yeah, he he had a. Uh, he had a few drinks, so we'd all had a few drinks. We'd beaten Scotland, and he was he was he was hungry, so um, he he had a golf buggy from the the Vale Hotel and uh, and drove it down down the M4 to the next junction to the service station to uh, pick up some food. Yeah, so yeah, it's, uh, it gives you a sign of the, of the character he is. Episode five was with two-time Olympic medalist and trampoline world champion Bryony Page. After. You did this one with Adam. What are your memories of chatting to Bryony? Uh, she's like the thing is about Bryony because she's a athlete because he she's actually jumping and then because she's a member of like she's missed like London Olympics because she did yeah good good remembering she missed the London Olympics through injury and she was devastated yeah. obviously and then she managed to reach I think it was Rio and Tokyo Olympics yeah. and, and managed to get two medals silver and a bronze. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. It's nice to speak to a woman on the podcast. We're trying our best to get more women um, on the podcast and chat about different sports that they participate in. But so hopefully, coming up, we'll have some more more chats with different sports women. Here's a little clip from our chat with Bryony. So then, moving forward, then four years, you obviously had the the Rio 2016 Olympics. What was it like, first of all, to be selected, and then? Before we come on to your medal, what was it like to compete? Obviously, you didn't compete in London, but you experienced it. What was it like in a country that was so far away? And what was the difference between London and, and Rio? And what was it like to compete in the Olympics? Yeah. Um, oh, a lot to unpack about Rio Olympics. Um, I think finding out that I had made the team, um, because it was such a... Uh, the trial process was so difficult. Um, and... Yeah, definitely hit one of my dips <laughs> in the middle of that. Um, and also Pete, so I finished fifth at the World Championships, hit the score that I needed to be selected. But also um, that wasn't the only 
it was to be considered. I hit score to be considered. Um, and then I had a bit of a rocky start to the, the next year trial processes. So it was it was quite a difficult trial process. I didn't know if I was going to make the team, honestly. Like, it sounds really silly now because, um, you know, uh, because of how well the, the Olympics went for me. But actually, I really wasn't sure if I was going to make the team because there were three really strong competitors um, going for two spaces, basically. Um, there was actually five, five of us going for two spaces, but three really, really strong contenders going for two spaces. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to make it or be the reserve. Um, but I decided kind of before knowing that no matter what, no, if I wasn't going to be selected, that I'd still like train 100% to try and get this routine the way that I wanted to. And I didn't need an Olympics to be able to do that. It was almost like I could, I could achieve that peak routine at any point in the next few months of training. Um, so I found that very motivating again. So when I found out that I had made the team, uh, it was by phone call. Um, I think twelve fifty four, sixth of July. Um, is that fourth Fourth of July? It's the uh, the fireworks day in the US. Four, is it Fourth of July? Yeah, I think it was then. Um, and yeah, it was an amazing moment because it was kind of happiness, relief, um, excitement. Uh, but pressure because you know you've been selected over somebody else you want to make sure that you can do it right um just all these different emotions but mainly like happiness and relief <laughs> moving on now to episode six which which say us chat to um former premier league footballer michael chopra in this episode chopra talked about his time in newcastle sunderland and cardiff city as well as his gambling addiction this was a very in-depth and honest interview, wasn't it, Avtar? What uh, are your memories of chatting to Michael Chopra? We actually do that, actually, because Michael Chopra, he's like, he's played, like, uh, in the Premier League, like, as Newcastle, Sunderland and Cardiff City. Yeah, what, what are your memories of that, Tom? Um, well, I like how he opened up about his gambling addiction because not only is there a clip about it on, of course, our YouTube channel... But I also just liked how, you know, how he had his, like, chains over the year also, um, his time in football and, like, how proud he has been on his journey as well. And he also showed us, like, different, uh, was it, like, football merchandise, was it, that he had? Yeah, there were tops that he, he swapped with players after the game. He showed quite a few tops, didn't he? Yeah. And, yeah, it was another great chat. It was very, as you said, Tom, very open and honest chat, a lot about his career, but also his gambling addiction and just how bad his gambling actually got and, how now he how he got out of it and how now he supports other footballers um, who might have got into gambling. You then left Cardiff City. We read that it was Craig Bellamy who pushed you out of the club after an accident at half-time at Bristol City. Can you recall what happened? Look, football players have always got superstitions. And one of my superstitions was I used to check my phone at half time. Um, because what what people didn't realize is I was uh, I was speaking to a motivation coach from Newcastle, um, Steve Black, and he used to text me every now and again about the game and some words he used to tell me, he used to kind of kick me on for the second half. And I basically said somebody's picked my phone in the dressing room uh, against Bristol City 
and everyone knows how well I used to do against Bristol City. Um, we used to score many goals against them. And I, I basically said, I'm, I'm not going out until I get my phone. Um, then the physio gave me the phone, the physio, the fitness coach at the time, gave me the phone. And I found out afterwards that Craig Bellamy had told them to to take my phone off me at half-time to, to concentrate on, on the game. Now, I don't know why Craig Bellamy thought that I needed somebody. I needed somebody to tell me to concentrate on football when the problems I had in previous years before that didn't even come into consideration on the football pitch. So why all of a sudden should he tell someone to take my phone? So we had a, we had a little fallout and obviously Craig Bellamy being Craig Bellamy and coming from a big club like Man City, the owners respected him and I believe he, he, he told the owners to get rid of me and to, to, to move me on and bring somebody else in. So what was your relationship like with, with Bellamy? Obviously you played with him at Newcastle. Yeah, and look. Him 10 years later at Cardiff. Was it a good relationship or was it quite... quite <clears throat> when he was at Newcastle, when he was at Newcastle, I seen a totally different player, totally different player, totally different person. Uh, when he was at Cardiff, I was like, this isn't the Craig Bellamy I know. He's he's more professional and, and everything. I don't know if it's because he had, he'd, he'd go, become older and he'd played for Man City and when you play one of the best teams in the world, Man City, um, you, you have to mature and, and become a better player. Um, so yeah, it was, look, it was one of those things we, it, we I seen two different players, one at Newcastle, one at Cardiff and look, he's probably matured and he's probably grown up from being the, the young kid he was at, at Newcastle. Um, look, I've got nothing, nothing against Craig, he's, he's been a great footballer, he's helped me during my career when I was at Newcastle as a kid coming through um, and look, he, he probably just trying to help he, he probably thought by doing that was helping myself, when really it wasn't. Um, and he was obviously trying to help the football club as well. Episode 7 saw us chat to one of the greatest Australian opening batsmen of all time, <coughs> Matthew Hayden. After you did this one with Adam, do you remember Matthew telling you the story about him being naked on top of the mountain? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, because actually he told us like a funny story because... He's actually proper naked uh, <laughs> top uh, mountain and actually got told off. Yeah, he did. That was in South Africa, I think. Yeah, South, oh yeah, South Africa. Yeah, he said that. that he um, Australia just won the match and I, I'm sure alcohol was involved and he ends up <laughs> yeah naked on top of the mountain. Oh. I remember him saying it was before social media and before yeah. camera phones, so there was lucky no one took a photo of him. Um, he is a short clip from our chat with Matthew Hayden and when again when we do our research we came up with um, a, a news line he- newspaper heading kept coming up about you and the heading was Matthew Hayden naked on top of Table Mountain <laughs> <laughs> was that was that can you imagine that can you imagine yeah. that now oh my God. So, social, so, social media so why was Matthew Hayden naked on top of Table Mountain <laughs> Well, we used to sing our team song in different locations, you know. So we'd sing it, we'd sing it in nightclubs. So every now and again, we'd sing it on the side of cliffs. We'd sing it in dressing room mainly, thankfully. Uh, but this one night, we thought we'd sing it on top of Tabletop Mountain. So in the moment, I I had the Australian flag wrapped around me, and I'm on top of the table top mountain <laughs> on a stitch stitch of clothes on me, apart from the Australian flag, which is probably some sort of criminal uh, activity 
and sailing on the way up to, to Tabletop Mountain on this cable car before we sung the team songs. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, the things we do when we're excited and after a big win, it's crazy. Yeah, I bet you're glad there wasn't mobile phones and cameras and social media back then. Paparazzi, they would have wanted to have a big zoom lens anyway, put it that way. <laughs> Maybe I was yeah. safe. Another one you did on your own, Avatar, was episode eight with athletic coach Frank Dick. Can you and Adam tell us a little bit about that episode? Ooh. Yeah, go. that was a really interesting one because it was the first time we spoke to um, a sports coach. Yeah. So it was interesting to hear the other side of the other side of sport and talking about all the fantastic people he had coached, such as Daley Thompson, Seb Coe. Uh, he also coached in other sports, such as golfer Justin Rose and tennis player Boris Becker. So it was really interesting to hear a different side of, of sports from a coach's point of view. Would you agree, After? Uh, yes, I am. He talked about like he's like really mind to it, and then actually what team, what game we played, everything like that. And here's a short clip from our chat with Frank. So you left your role at a very successful, successful team GB in 1994. Why do you decide, decide to leave? Well, okay. Um, I don't suppose it's a secret anymore. What, what was happening was that uh, British athletics at that point um, were going through a very bad time financially. And uh, we, we, we had, we, we'd, we'd had very successful years. We'd won the European Cup. We'd, we were uh, one of the top nations in Europe. When, when I started, we were just a kind of second division kind of team. Um, and I, I thought I'd done a good job in leading the coaches, I mean, the, the, it was the coaches who did all the work. I, I was the boss, but I, so they, they did all the, the work. I was very lucky through that period. And we'd gone up to a really high level. Um, and suddenly I was told that um, I'd have to cut my budget. Now, already we had a much smaller budget than, say, France or Germany or, or, or Italy. Uh, certainly smaller one than, than the Soviet Union and, and Russia and so on. We had really a tiny budget, but we were successful with this. And I, now I was going to be asked to work with less. So I said to the, uh, the, 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 the decision makers in the sport, um, you, you're, you're, you're leaving me with, with, with some serious complications here. I'm, I'm either going to... to sack some of my coaches or I'm going to have to cut the junior program and in either case and, and so somebody said well that's your choice I said well in either case I promise you for as long as you keep that budget cut for every year that you do that it will take you at least three years to come back and then I got a good think about it and I thought well no I um it's not my place anymore I, you, you, there are cert, certain things you cannot do unless you have the resources and so yes then I, I decided to leave this is where you come in Harvey episode 9 was probably most uh, probably our most exciting episode yet and that was with TV legend Paddy McGuinness Harvey talk to me about that episode what are your memories of it well I remember when he struggled to um, 
know what a Nintendo Switch was and a Nintendo Lite. I found that pretty funny. Um, it was quite shocking how less he knew about electronics and I found that like the best bit. Um, but the main thing that I found very like amazing was how he done a TV for TV show for autism and stuff like that. He'd done a documentary and that just really made me feel there was awareness getting put out there by everybody that knew about autism. Tom, you and Paddy had a really good chat about autism during the episode. Did you enjoy chatting to Paddy about your experiences? Um, to be honest, yeah, I really did because, like, not only did I get an understanding more about uh, Paddy's children that also have autism and also his wife, but um, I was glad to open up my pod, uh, not podcast, sorry, about autism more because I have um, spoken about it in past episodes on the podcast, but I haven't gone as more in depth and said about other problems that I've had over the years and that I've been more improved myself um, and about all about sensory because sometimes I still have like some sensory things in autism but it's not as like severe yeah like severe and extreme as it used to be in my childhood yeah here's a short clip from that chat with Paddy you and your family recently did a documentary all about autism were you nervous about people seeing this documentary and why did you decide to do it well I wasn't nervous about people seeing the documentary because things like even us now chatting, you you know, you've just been chatting about some stuff from your childhood there and people listening to this, mainly mums and dads, might add, will learn a lot from that. So for me, it wasn't so much about the worry of it going on and what people think. It was more about, I didn't, doing that documentary was kind of, my kids didn't have a say in whether they wanted to do it or not. So I was, I, it, it took about four years to make. And I was always, I was always aware of my children being in it. So how we did it in the end is because I think it's important to sort of see the kids at home and see them playing and all the rest of it. So again, people don't think, oh, what is autism? Is it some, oh, you know, weird and wonderful thing we don't know about? And what goes on behind closed doors? It's just a normal family. You know, we just do things a little bit different to other people. You know, our meal times might not be the same as another person, but we still do meal times. So we did it in a way where you could sort of see the children, but you couldn't see the face. And that was that's how we came to do it. Um, but what's with us as parents, again, you know, like I was saying about what you spoke about with your childhood, that's great to hear for someone like me because we're always learning stuff and it's always good to get help about things or ask people about things. So by that doing doing the documentary, we learned a lot of stuff as well and we got help with things. People watching it got help. And also as well, sometimes you can feel as though there's only you in that situation, you know, but there's not. There's millions of other people in the same situation. When you get that sense of other people are, going through what you're going through and they understand it and they've, they've, they've had the same ups and the, and the same downs. It's something nice about feeling part of that team, you know what I mean? So it worked really well and, and you know, we were inundated with messages after the show about people saying how much they enjoyed it and how much they learned stuff. 
and 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 people who are who are parents whose children aren't autistic learned a lot as well. You know, so they said they'll alter their behaviour when they're out and about, and if they see you know a, you know whatever have a Leo in the toilet crying at the hand dryer, you know, noise or having a meltdown in a supermarket for whatever reason, they'll understand a bit more about why that's happening and it's nothing nothing out of the ordinary, really. Episode 10, saw us chatting with former England cricketer Rob Key. Avtor, did you enjoy chatting to Rob about cricket? Uh, yes, actually, we talked about Rob Key. He's a cricketer and actually he is... Yeah, he's good. He's good person actually because his cricket is played around the world, and um, yeah, probably good man. Yeah, it was good. I I enjoyed listening to talk about his teammates, and he talked about his good friend Shane Warne, who sadly passed away a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And we interviewed him before that happened, but he still spoke a lot about Shane and, and talked about how much of a good friend he was and what a good um, competitor he was and how difficult he was to play against. Yeah, I really enjoyed chatting with Rob and that was that was a really, really good episode. And here's a short clip from our chat with Rob. We heard that when Kent played Hampshire against oh, Australian cricketer Shane Warne got everyone together to play poker during the rain delay. <laughs> Can you tell us more about that story and did you ever beat him at poker? We so when we played Ham, yeah when we played Hampshire, Warney was a good mate of mine. So when we was in the poker craze, Texas Hold'em to be exact, and so we would turn up and we have the toss and we think right if it rains because the weather forecast was bad, we thought right we'll play poker. So in the end, we were more desperate for it to rain because we had this huge game of poker going on, you know, and you're only putting in like twenty quid or something. And it was just a big tournament type stuff. And we ended up playing till probably two o'clock one night. So we played all day because it rained all day and all night. And then the next day we did the same. Um, and then we'd go out and play against each other. And he would, you know, we'd all be sledging each other because it's pretty much half of our team and half of theirs. Um, but they're the mo- sport is not always about. The, the game you're playing it's about the stuff that happens in between it's like John Lennon's life is what happens when you're busy making other plans and that was you know they're the moments you, you often remember when you finish rather than the individual matches nearly at the end now an episode 11 saw us chat to one of the greatest rugby players of all time Shane Williams Harvey this is an episode that you and Adam recorded Harvey, what are your memories of chatting with Shane? Well, it was such a long time ago, I don't even remember. Um, well, it wasn't that long ago. Um, but I can remember when he was speaking about getting onto the field when he was about to play a game. It was so nerve-wracking for him, he said. And it was... The idols that he grew up with was just the greatest thing of his life, he said. And and the year that he said he he, he would go back to in his life would be 2008, when he won one of the um one of the tournaments that they were on tour for and I found that quite amazing. Yeah, great memory, Harvey. So yeah, he spoke about I think two thousand eight he was voted the world's best player as well. So um that was an incredible year for him. Here's a short clip from Shane Williams. You went to the World Cup in twenty eleven 
to New Zealand. Wales uh, came so close to reaching the final, losing 9-8 to France in the semi-final. What are your memories of that tournament? Um, yeah, a, a good tournament in the sense that, you know, we, we were confident. We felt that, uh, you know, we... We were definitely a, a team that was capable of winning the World Cup. The confidence was through the roof. So, you know, really enjoyed the World Cup. New Zealand, again, like I said earlier, is a great place to, to kind of tour and do these tournaments. But, yeah, the, the semi-final was like a kick, kick in the guts, I've got to be honest. Um, you know, we, we still now, you ask any of those lads, we still believe that if we'd have won that game, we'd have won the World Cup. That's how confident we were. So... To lose in that fashion, you know, with Sam getting sent off and only losing by a point and, you know, having missed a couple of kicks, it's it's tough. It is tough. It is one of those rugby moments that will always be with me. It'll always sting. Um, and, you know, it'll always make me think, what if? And I think it's the same for for the, the rest of the lads as well. So, yeah, um, it, that one was tough. The World Cup was great. We should have we should have gone on and, and done bigger and better things. But again, you know, you hear me say this a few times, that is life and that's rugby life. And, um, you know, I think when, when I'm 90 or 80 or on my deathbed, wherever it was, whatever it is, I always remember that day. Um, and, it, but, but fond memories as well. So getting to that semi-final was great. We had to work hard, some big wins. But yeah, you know, one team has to lose, unfortunately, at that stage. Episode 12 was another big one for us, Avtor. As big wrestling fans, it was amazing to speak to WWE legend Kurt Angle. Avtor, what did you think about our chat with Kurt? Oh, man. I'm so sorry because we actually... We actually turned Kurt Angle, actually. Because Kurt is a wrestler, because, like, he's the... The walk, he's no mercy, he's won that, and then he's won, like, everything. He's a Hall of Famer. Because, like, he's good WWE, actually. I respect him. He's uh, be, he's mixed acting Warren Rousey, them two won, and, like, Triple H, them lost, them won. Yeah, and, Tom, what about you? What do you think of our chat with Kurt? I think it was, like, honestly an amazing experience because not only has he talked about his legacy, and he also said that... Um, he doesn't know about like whether he'll come back to WWE yet, and um, I found it funny as well when he um, when he was mentioned about that he doesn't keep in touch with the Rock anymore yeah. because of the change of phone numbers. You see, so, um, yeah. I remember of he I tell him a question that um, funny story that a big guy actually is right for his phone. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> it's so really stinky. funny. It's really funny and really <laughs> stink. He's actually. Yeah. Here, here is a short clip from our chat with Kurt Angle. Which opponent did you enjoy being in the ring with most and why? It, uh, it all depended. I mean, from, from a wrestling standpoint, straight up wrestling, Chris Benoit. From an entertainment standpoint and wrestling standpoint, Shawn Michaels. Shawn was the best I've ever been in the ring with. Uh, he's the best overall performer. He's got the charisma, the look. He has the in-ring skills. He has the full package. And Shawn Michaels really proved that to me. You had some great WrestleMania moments against Shawn Michaels, Eddie Guerrero, um, Brock Lesnar, Kane, and more. 
is there a certain WrestleMania moment that stands out uh, for you? Um, I believe the Shawn Michaels match was my favorite WrestleMania match. But the one that's the most memorable is against Brock Lesnar. That was such a competitive match. And it was two amateur wrestlers that turned pro wrestling that put on an amateur wrestling clinic. And the crazy thing was at the end, Brock Lesnar was supposed to do a shooting star press. It's kind of like a gainer where you, you jump off the top rope and you flip backward and you splash your opponent. And he fell short and I thought he broke his neck. Mm. And it, it was such it was such a bad WrestleMania moment that it became one of the most popular WrestleMania moments. And fans are going to remember that forever. And that's what you want in your career. You want moments, good or bad. You want to make sure you have great moments for fans. So, boys, our final episode with a guest was with Dr. Temple Grandin. Now, Dr. Temple Grandin is autistic and is one of the leading autistic speakers in the world. She has a number of books that she's published, and she also has a film about her life. So we decided to air this episode on the weekend, because on Saturday just gone, Saturday the 2nd of April, was World Autism Acceptance Day. We did a lot of work last week and a lot of celebrations at school around autism, and we thought this would be a fantastic episode to release on that day to promote autism and the fantastic things that we're doing and the autistic community are doing. Tom, you had a good chat with Temple about your life and autism in general. What do you think of that chat? Um, I think one of the main values, of course, was not only when she was talking about her book, Thinking in Pictures, which in the future I'm definitely going to get because I've got a lot of books that I need to see and get. Um, but she was also talking about the fact that uh, to push me to go work in a working environment soon. Personally, when I want to start working, I want to start in maybe retail in the part-time job and then move up from there. Um, but I, I completely agree with her pushing on for me to work as soon as possible. So, yeah. Here is a short clip from our chat with Temple Grandin. Well, I want to see, you see, the other thing is you get out and you do things. It's a person with autism is a bottom-up thinker. Uh, people told me that my talks at age 50 were better than my talks at 30. And my talks at 60 were better than my talks at 50. And that's because as I got more and more experiences, I'm loading more data into the database. See, if you don't get out and do things, you don't put anything into the database. Then you kind of stay where you're at. That's why it's important to get out and, and, and do stuff. And my mother knew just how much to stretch me, not throw me into some situation I couldn't handle, always giving me some choices. For example, I was afraid to go to my aunt's ranch, and mother gave me a choice. I could go for a week, or I could go all summer. I got out there and loved it. But the tendency sometimes is to say, no, I don't want to do that. She'd always give limited choices. She had a very good sense of just how much to push me. When I was 13, she found a seamstress that uh, that uh, altered dresses in her house, and mother uh, had me working for her, uh, taking apart dresses and doing hand sewing. And I earned some serious money where I could go buy some stuff with it. I was 13. And that was something that my mother just set up in the neighborhood with a local person that worked in her home. See, we need to be doing more of those sorts of things. Like when my sister and I were like, I might have been 11, maybe my sister was eight. And we had a disastrous drink stand and we ran out of sugar. Well, you learn you need to have enough supplies. You know, that was, I was in elementary school. 
my sister was even younger when we did that. Wow, that was an amazing season. It has been on the TWS Sports Podcast. We have covered up so many different sports and spoke to some amazing people. Harvey, what are you excited about for our next season on the TWS Sports Podcast? Wow, um, I can't really think, to be honest, but I'm, I'm so excited to have an opportunity to speak to so many more people. And I think it's going to be really good for, to recognise autism and learn about our school and everything. And I think it's going to be the most amazing opportunity I've ever got to take part in, to be honest. Harvey, you are new to the podcasting. What would you like to teach uh, your listening about autism? I think what I would like to teach about autism is the condition that I've got actually called PDA. It's not the most recognised um, autism, but I think it needs a little bit more recognition in the world to understand what it's about and how it functions and how a person with autism PDA mind functions. I think it's going to be really good to know. So Harvey, lots of people might not know what PDA means. Do you want to explain what PDA is? PDA is something that's also known as pathological demand avoidance. PDA is where someone is struggled to take in everyday commands or might have a specific routine and won't be very happy if it gets interrupted. Um, for example, if I had trampolining in my routine for two weeks every Monday, that would, if that got taken out, that would like really mess up my routine. It would put me off balance a little bit. But then it takes me a little while to get used to that routine. But I think after all of it, it should be okay. Yeah. Right, and Tom, same question to you. What would you like to teach our listeners more about autism? Um, well, I want people to know who are listening and is to like kind of like learn more. And I just say to like appreciate more about autism. And I just, I'm speaking about autism awareness. Uh, I'm also appreciating to all our listeners who are starting to either A, if you already know about autism and are learning more, or if you're new to understanding autism more in depth, that you learn more each episode. So thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Make sure, uh, if you haven't already, to go uh, subscribe to the TWS Sports Podcast YouTube channel. Thank you. We are taking a short break over Easter, but we will be back on Tuesday the 3rd of May with the start of Season 4. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a great Easter. See you soon. See See you soon, guys. See you, guys. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.